0: Welcome to More Than Miles, the podcast where we use storytelling and expert interviews to widen the lens on what it means to be a happy and healthy endurance athlete. We believe that athletes are so much more than their body, sport, and training miles. I'm Dr. Kate Mejivik-Edwards.
1: And I'm Dr. Casey Sinders. We are endurance athletes, physical therapists, and huge coffee addicts. We spend most of our time treating, educating, and working with endurance athletes. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Now let's get to the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to More Than Miles. Today, Kate and I are very excited because we have one of our, I want to say idols, on the podcast today. <laughs> Sorry, I know it sounds aggressive, but it really is. Um, Day to Sherry is on the podcast today. Jay, thank you for coming on today. We are so excited.
2: I just want to say it's hilarious to hear somebody call me an idol. If my wife and kids heard this, they would roll their eyes so much, it would they would just fall apart laughing. So... <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, that's good. At least we can provide them with some humor. Um, But I would like to say, I don't know if I would use the word idol, but I definitely, I have read your books and kind of followed your career a bit in parallel to mine for several years. And I do have a ton of respect for what you do and what you put out into the world. And I'm so appreciative.
2: Awesome. We're all just trying to help, right? I mean,
0: that's why we're here. So that's exactly right. So, the first thing we like to do when we have this podcast is we like to kind of jump in and hear about your running background. and so we know that you're a physical therapist, um but you also have a background in competitive running and triathlon. So, could you tell us a little bit about how you started running and what your running looks like today?
2: Yeah, so I hated running when I started. um in fact, I didn't even want to do it. I was literally forced to. I swam my whole life and when you swim, you're in the pool 25 hours a week from the age of like seven on. So you're just stupidly fit. Right. I mean, and I I got to high school and the coach was like, you have to run. I was like, I don't run. I swim. And he's like, well, no, because if you're a varsity athlete, you have a period off, and we can fit extra workout in. And I like literally was forced to run. Um, And I hated it because I was ridiculously fit and I'd show up and I could run with these, like, like all the varsity people for a few miles. Right. And then I'd crash and burn. Because I would get hurt because swimming doesn't train your chassis at all, right? It just trains you. You have this ridiculously big engine. And yeah, it was really interesting because I would I would show up, I race really well, and then I would get hurt. And that cycle just continued all the time, right? And, you know, back then, and even to a big extent now, like coaches don't get education on how to keep their uh, athletes healthy, right? So um, there was no option. I go to the doctors and they'd say, well, running is hurting. You you should stop. And I was like, I'm 16. I should do whatever I want. And that, yeah, I I found no answers, and I think that like was just frustrating for me. That cycle never really got better. I mean, it was it was uh, it was frustrating to say the least. And then um, when I got into college, I just yeah wanted to try some triathlon stuff and went that route and spent a little more time training, but um, and and getting serious and and doing different things. And so yeah, it's it it was fun. I mean, I I ended up competing at a say regional. To national level um in uh in distance running and everything from sprint distance to Ironman racing yeah it was fun i mean you find out a lot about yourself and what you do and um i think that's when i actually started to enjoy multi-sport racing and then i got more into off-road triathlons and then more long trail running and i've done every distance from a you know 5k to a, a mile to ultra marathon so um yeah just dabbling little things um i i try and not take things uh you know, I'm old now. I don't take things serious anymore. I just, uh, I go for fun. If it sounds fun, I do it. If it's not, then I don't do it. So it's pretty simple.
0: <laughs> I like that philosophy. It gets, again, that gets easier as you get older and you have a family, right? You're like, right. Ah, I don't think that I want my body to feel this way um, <laughs> tomorrow. Right. Although uh, in the past it wouldn't have bothered as
2: much. <laughs> for sure.
0: <laughs> Although I don't know if you can say an Iron Man is just dabbling.
2: This is funny to me. This is, this is the one thing that cracks me up. People think you're not a real runner until you've done a marathon, right? And you're not a real sure. triathlete until you've done an Ironman. And I think that's the, the dumbest mentality in the whole world. I mean, like, there are many athletes we know that do well at shorter, faster distances. And they yeah. own that. And, like, why do you to force someone to run longer? I was a, I was a 100, 200-meter butterfly sprinter, right? That's, what I, that's my background. So it's like the fact you're forcing me to long-distance racing – I mean, anybody can put their head down and grunt it out. I mean, I found that training incredibly boring. I, it was the most boring thing I've ever done. And people are like, aren't you proud of yourself? I'm like, no, I, I just <laughs> I would like to go have fun doing some shorter, faster stuff because that's just what I prefer. So, you know, do what you like and don't get stuck down. You know, somebody telling you you have to do some distance goal to to have an identity. I think that's a big misconception these days.
0: Well, you know, I love that you said that because I was at a race this weekend and we were sponsoring the race and people would come up to our table and talk with us and they would say, oh, I'm not really a runner. And I would say, wait a second, aren't you running today? And they'll say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not a runner. And so that actually brought up a conversation I had with some of my colleagues about, well, Who's defining what a runner is, and how do we how do we say that, and how do we talk about that with people so they realize that if you're taking a couple steps, even if it's walking most of the time and a little bit of running, that's still running. You're still moving your body. You're still doing something great. But it is a a very interesting mindset, and even maybe a roadblock people have calling themselves a runner or a triathlete.
2: For sure, yeah, I I agree. I think it's it's dependent too, right? If you're with your you know, you're a little intimate peer group. You may say I'm a blank. Right. And then if you're with a group of more successful people say, Oh, well, I don't do that. It's like, no, you do like you own it. Right. I mean, this is part of what you do and own it. And it's, it's fine. Like just, uh, if you enjoy it, then you're part of that crew. So.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I, I hear
1: patients, you know, they're coming in for a running related injury and they'll say, Oh, I'm not really a runner. <laughs> and the other thing that happens is you can see, I have my Boston dibs up on the wall here and they'd be like, um, I don't think I belong here. And so I've, I've like considered taking it down because I want everyone to feel like they belong. And like everyone who participates somehow is a runner to me. Um, so yeah, I, I always find this conversation interesting, but I think it's a cultural thing. I mean, cause definitely you can see the spectrum of obsession with the sport. And so people say, well, I'm not one of those crazies over there. So I'm not a runner, um, which I don't think is quite
2: true. <laughs> And, you know, it's interesting to me. I, I mean, I'm sure you have the same experience, like athletes come in all the time and, and and let's say more recreational athletes, right? They come in and say, I'm not good enough to be here. I know you work with elites or whatever. It's like, look, elites happen to have incredibly good genetics and they work really hard. That does not mean they run efficiently. They're durable, right? I mean, you know, there's a big difference between physiological development and talent and you know and how how good your running form is I mean, i tell people all the time i've seen parents with three to four kids who run more efficiently more economical right and are more durable than people i've worked with who have gold medals from the olympics um you know they just happen to have some (laughs) better physiological capacity and genetics than you do right so but you know just because you're you're just because your name's up on a wall doesn't mean you're the, you're the best, right? In terms of a lot of things we work with, and and vice versa. Just because you're successful doesn't mean that you're gonna. I mean, excuse me. Just because you have you know life, wife, kids, responsibilities, two jobs, whatever, like doesn't mean that you're not trying and that you can't become better uh, as you know wherever stage you're at. So uh, just yeah, I think that the 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 wall needs to come down, right?
1: I agree. Yeah. We've uh, noticed this with our professional athletes that we work with. I'm not going to name any names, but you ask them to do a single leg squat and it, oh, it's, um, it's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's <laughs> a little bit cringeworthy. And like, I think about it all the time. Cause like I work on this stuff. Right. So I'm like, well, at least I'm better at this. <laughs> I can't beat them in a race, but I could do a single leg squat. No problem. <laughs>
2: And it's funny too, because then people go, Oh, well, that doesn't matter because they're so fast. I'm like, yeah, but they've had three stress fractures in the past four months. And, you know, that, that's exaggerating, right? But like they're, they're breaking down all the time, right? When you're constantly riding this tightrope of performance, you fall off a lot, right? If you're not, if you're not well controlling your body. And so, um, I, I think that, uh, yeah, that, that, you know there's are of the two worlds, right? We want to develop that engine, that capacity for sure. But, and that's where the coaches come in. But, you know, I think that one of the things that we as therapists trying to do and, you know, is take ownership of our responsibility to help people be durable and show up day in, day out. And um, we'll always have a job because people don't, take this advice and, you know, everybody wants that one exercise they should do, which doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, people are individual and variable and respond differently to different things. So that's why you go to someone and find out what you need to do. And that's why you follow plans consistently. And, um, that's why, you, you know, it's me up too. It's like, if we would have had these conversations 10 years ago and you said you should do some core work, people would look at you like you're, you know, on acid, right? And now <laughs> you say core work and every runner does does core work, right? But now you say, okay, well, you should strengthen, you know, I simply you should strengthen your feet. That conversation's starting to happen, right? I, I'm telling people you should strengthen your upper body. Runners are like, that's stupid. I don't I don't run with my arms. I'm like, okay, well, let's have a conversation about running and tell you why this is important. And I I get it. There's, you know, there's more to it than just swing your legs back and forth and um and we're all trying to help, but these discussions are evolving, they're shifting. I'm glad I'm glad we can have these discussions and podcasts like this right to to teach people what we're doing and why we're doing it and and why this stuff is worth your time because I know you're busy, everybody's busy, and I want to be respectful of your time, but you know, just running is not going to build your bone strength. It's not going to build your tendon strength. It's not going to make you strong and maintain muscle mass. It's not going to help you learn skills, right? All this quote other stuff will. And so, if you do this in the right amount in the right time, you can really improve where you are, you know wherever you identify, however you identify with your running a athlete journey, you can improve where you are.
0: I agree with that. And Jay, I'll take it one step further. So I've been in with my new project, Fast Bananas, particularly, I've been taking everything I've learned over the last you know thirteen to twenty years, however long we really want to say it is, um about, you know, mental and emotional health, and how we add meditation, and how we add um, how we talk to ourselves, and um, the way that we frame that, and what we're doing as athletes. And so, try having those conversations. You know what I mean? <laughs> with With every athlete who still doesn't want to strengthen their foot, and so um, those are the conversations that we're also starting to have. So it's it's this whole continuum of all these different things that um, can make us more resilient athletes and not get injured as much, but it takes time and it's just really, really hard.
2: It's real hard. I'll share something I've never actually like shared publicly. So I um, I, yeah, I swam, right? And so yeah, I had one of my coaches earlier on, was, it was pretty interesting. He's like, you know, swimming's interesting. Every pool is the same distance. There's no wind, right? At certain levels of competition, the pools is at the same temperature. There are no variables, right? And if you're not happy with your time, it's your own fault right and and I took that to heart like a lot right you can't blame anything yeah. there there's nothing else besides you and I had days I had good races, right and those were nice days, and I had days I had bad races, and I would like i I got to a point I actually wouldn't let my parents come to my meets for several years wow. uh because I was so I took everything so hard and so personally like if I screw up i'm I'm letting everybody down and like I still struggle with those things sometimes, but like realize like. It's not that big of a deal and people care more about you as a person than you do as a bib number. And so, um, yeah, having opportunities and ways to, you know, center yourself and find some meaning in what you're doing, I think is 100% needed for sure.
0: Yeah, you too. Thanks for sharing that. I think that that's something a lot of athletes struggle with, and there's not a lot of conversation around it. It's starting to happen more, luckily, yeah. um, but it's a conversation that is still walked around or tiptoed around, if you will, um, because maybe we don't want to admit to ourselves that that's the place we are in, or maybe um, we don't want other people to see us as weak when we're supposed to be these strong athletes.
2: Yeah.
1: And I think it comes down to the coaches and how we talk to our athletes. Right. And as, as physical therapists, I think we can have some power there too, in like reframing how people think about their bodies and, and like this, like mind body connection and things like that. I think we have a really cool opportunity to do that, um, in the space that we work in.
2: Yeah. I had this, um, picture, uh, sports illustrated did photo essay, like uh, well over 15 years ago. And it's the I wish it would. They'd put publish it again. It's the most amazing thing ever. But they've got, it's like thirty women, and they're all Olympians or world champions, and and they look nothing alike, right? And it it just and it's varied sports, and I just love it because it speaks to this idea. There's no one body type, right? People I remember say, that. Yeah. Am I built this way? Or am I and like, no, like people are different sizes and shapes and, and you want to optimize who you are. Right. And it just, mm-hmm. and that, that, that whole image is so powerful. And I, I just love it because it says, look, like there's no mold, like, you know, you're, you be the best you. And that's all we can do. We can strive for it. And if you do that, look what you can achieve. Right. So it, it's, it's so nice to see that just played out so clearly.
0: No, I agree. I, I would love to see more of that. And, and you're right. I remember that. And the fact that you said it's like maybe 15 years ago makes me crazy, but I, uh, <laughs> I think we definitely need more of that out there. And it just comes back to who is a runner, who is a triathlete. It doesn't matter. And we really need to structure, um, strength training. We need to structure how somebody is running and what, what the recommendations are for each of those people in such an individual way, because their body is going to be completely different for sure so tell us a little bit about how you became a physical therapist Jay uh
2: yeah I um so those frustrations I had yeah <laughs> of, of like not being able to run um, that planted to some seed of like I want to help myself and then it's funny I was watching like some I don't know PBS special as a kid or something and like you know Sunday morning and they had this thing <laughs> like oh we're gonna look at these athletes and we're going to put these dots on them and watch the dots bounce around the screen. I'm like, Oh, that looks cool. Maybe one day I'll do that. I was like, of course (laughs) it's never going to happen. Um, fast forward several years later, I go to, well not several, many years later, I go to PT school. Uh, I got frustrated a bunch of stuff I did, didn't work. Um, and so, um, we, uh, I was at University of Virginia at the time and I persuaded our department chair to allow us to do, um, uh, individual biomechanical analysis. Right. And, um, for those of you listening who are recreational folks, I, I always tell my clinicians that, um, your research is important. Research guides the way we think but doesn't tell you how to treat your patients doesn't tell you how how to help you right and so um one of the really cool things was um i was able to get you know musculoskeletal data meaning we put people in tables we check their strength and range of motion all kind of stuff you do normally but then i i got gait data i got um gait analysis data on thousands of athletes and so I had the coolest job in the world because now you can see, okay, when I notice a loss of hip internal rotation, we see these things play out in the way people move. When I notice, you know, the fact of you um of problems with single leg stability, right? I notice these problems come apart. When I notice problems in torso rotation, I see these things kind of come into play. So you know, then you start to get into how this, like, you know, really hyper-focused lens to be able to look at, you know, how individuals respond, and then all this stuff just started coming to to light in terms of how we move, how to optimize this, and how do we train these habits, and then, and then what's what skills do you need? As a runner, right? Because those are different than the skills we use with the US ski and snowboard team. Those are different with ski, with skills we assess for dancers and for jumpers and all these different things, right? So, how do you make things individualized, sports specific? And, you know, people have been talking about this buzzword of individualized medicine for forever, right? That's, that's what I do, right? So, I, I look at each individual and I find out, okay, you know, first question I ask everybody. How, why are you here? And how can I help you? Right. That that's, that's my, I'm just, I'm just a cog in a wheel, right. I, I'm just here to try and try and help you succeed. And then through that testing and evaluation process, I find out where are you, right? Like, where do you fall in the spectrum? You want to be way up here, right? Well, are you 95% there? Or are you 10% of the way there? Right. How do we get you to those goals? And then we just train backwards. Right. And and we find out what do we have to do to kind of plug those holes and, and progress you along the ladder. And, um, and that's just been my approach right i found that we make things um objective and try and classify where people are and and always keep in mind where their goal is right and find out what those deficits are and you know to get that to that goal and so that's sort of where i've my career's gone from a thought process um, and i've done lots of other things in the way i mean i've we've worked with um uh, national governing bodies with USA track and field USA Triathlon, and worked with uh, the military, we put these big global programs through to improve readiness in our, in our, um, in our military. Uh, I've worked with a lot of shoe companies. Um, I've, I've tested at least 25 of 30% of the, the product that's on every specialty retailer wall across the world. Um, I've designed shoes, uh, it's been super fun, um, I've written books, uh, obviously, and, and I, I teach this stuff, right? So my goal is to try and spread the wealth. Um, I want, I want clinicians to be able to have the resources to do a their job. So, um, here I am.
0: So you sound very busy, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I love that all of these pieces are kind of, they all come back to the same thing and that's education and making sure that um, people can help reach their goals. So are you seeing many patients these days or are you mostly teaching?
2: So these days, yes, I I, I teach in part of the uh, faculty at Oregon State University PT program. And then um, I also run MOBO, um, a little foot and ankle yeah. bounce board. And then uh, I, I, do some consulting work for a few companies still. And then I have a small group of athletes I'm still working with. I'm not taking any new people right now. I just don't have time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I'm wearing lots of hats. Uh, a few minutes before you called, I was literally testing some research sensors for stuff for our dissertation project for our students. So it's like lots of, lots of hats.
0: That's all right. I understand. I have this um, makeshift um, factory in in my office. You can see right here for my new project. So, between uh, writing books and um, this new project, and teaching and PTing and running some clinics, uh, I hear you and I feel your pain.
2: (laughs) It's crazy, but it's still fun, fun, right? You don't get bored. So.
0: No, no, it's so much fun. And it's fun to be able to make an impact on so many people in, in multiple different places and ways. Yep. Yep. Yeah, sure. that's really great. Well, I wanted to say or talk a little bit about your books because I mean, in 2012 is when the Anatomy for Runners book came out, I think. Yep. And I remember um, one of my contacts at a shoe store here, West Stride in Atlanta, um, they were actually the first people that brought it up. They're like, Kate, have you seen this book? And I, took a look at it. And I think I looked at it before um, last, a couple of weeks ago when we were originally going to talk and I had written notes in all the margins and there were like folded over pieces of the book and it was hilarious. So I obviously really enjoyed that book. Thank you. Wrote. What gave you the idea to do that? Was it based on the research that you were doing?
2: No. Yeah. So, so that book came, again, like everything I've done has been born out of frustration. Like I get frustrated. Why, why can't we do this? And that there's nothing there. I just do it. Right. So that book was there because, um, it it was, it was an interesting time, right? Like you were finally having this like mass discussion of like barefoot running and that just not to say barefoot running is the answer, but not going down that rabbit hole, but it opened the discussion to talk about like, why, like, what are we doing? How can we do better? Right. And for the first time, it wasn't about just run farther and run faster. It was, it was some type of discussion. And people always say, where can I get more resources? And, you know, that time, you know, it was interesting because, you know, you go to PT school and you're a clinician and you treat people and then you work in a research lab and they have these biomechanical engineers who are way smarter than I ever hope to be. And they just know data. They know ones and zeros. They don't know what a person is. Right. And so you had to learn to think and come together as a team. And you didn't have, you can't tell clinicians to go read biomechanical textbooks and you know, engineers can't go you know, back to, you know, look at the people. So I, I wanted to find some place in the middle to try and talk about like what have we learned? because again, like I just I, I find myself in this odd, you know situation in the research lab and doing all this analysis to be able to kind of hopefully spread some some good words. So, um, I thought, look, there there's a time and a place to write this right now. Um and it's a funny story. I wrote that entire book,, uh, and I was done. With the book and I uh one of my good friends worked on a research lab. He was not a clinician but he's a smart guy and, and I was like hey will you want to read this and I literally was putting it in his hands, giving it to him. And the second I'm transferring it to his hands, I go, this is too technical. I need to start over again. Oh no. And I I oh, literally no. rewrote the entire book. Oh my god! Uh, because I wrote it for myself. I wrote it for like here's all the people with this kind of you know experience you want to know, and I realized like that, wait a second, he doesn't see all this data the way I do, and go, and so I wrote the whole thing, um, and then yeah, you read it. So uh, but-
0: yeah, so I'm, I'm yeah. I know I'm not the only one that read it. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> So I've written a few books myself, and I know that process. And to hear you say that you rewrote that book right when you thought it was done is almost a little um, heart-wrenching and soul-crushing. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It was. Because it is, I don't know about you, but when you get to the end and you have this, I was like so sick of reading the damn book, even though I knew it would be helpful. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh man, well, there. The, the product that you did put out was lovely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's actually one of my, my highest compliments actually of both books is I feel like they are, you know, at a high enough level to where a clinician can get plenty of utility out them, but they, but also the everyday runner can understand them. And that's something that I'd always really appreciated about your writing, um, and I'd always really liked how you talked about, like we've mentioned it a few times in this podcast already, talking about skills. What skills do a runner does a runner need to have? And so I'm a little bit behind you guys um, clinically, I guess. Um, I'm I'm on the younger side and haven't written any books, but
2: you're lucky.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait a second. Here we go again, Casey, you're younger. Did you have to call it out? Every podcast somehow she says, I'm younger I, do than you, you want me to call myself inexperienced? Cause I don't like that
2: alternative. No, does that?
1: <laughs> no you're not. I don't like that in alternative. Um, anyway, I, 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 I liked framing things that way. So, uh, you know, when I took this job at precision and started seeing almost all runners, that was a good way for me to kind of zoom out and say like, okay, what skills do they need to learn? What are they missing? And I learned how to create like a group of functional tests that could help me figure that out. So I just want to say thank you for that framework because I think it's helped me a lot.
2: Oh, good. Yeah. So Anatomy for Runners was written for like this weird audience of clinicians who want to understand running better. Really, the the geeky runners who want better answers, right? It wasn't written for what I call the runner's world audience. It was written for the, I want to know the answer. It was written for. And I was like, Hey, good, I'm done. Right. And I was like, that was a miserable process of writing that twice. I'm not doing it ever again. Uh, And then I got a call from uh, a different (laughs) publisher saying we're out of the book. And I'm like, no, I'm not. (laughs) And they they basically, we began this conversation. Obviously I did. I wrote a second book, but, but the the goal of running the wire was not to write a sequel to anatomy for runners. It was to write something for the mainstream. Right. And, and, and still not quite, I don't mean to badmouth anybody by saying the runners world audience, but the runners world audience wants to be told, here's what you do. Here's your five exercises. Like, I think that we should be empowered and and know more than just that. Right. So the goal of that book was to set a few standards and of just kind of conversation in place of like skills need to bring to the table as a running athlete. Um, And then, like you said, how to make a framework for that. And then how do we plug those holes? Right. Like I always tell people, look, if you don't like the way I assess, you know, upper body and lower body rotation, fine. I don't care, but you know what? You better have a way to do it because that's one of the things that you have to deal with as you run. There's a huge rotational load on the body that we have to show up ready for. And if you don't, you're going to be in trouble. So find some way to tackle that, right? So Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com.
0: It's my little escape.
2: Now Judy's the life of the party.
0: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
2: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> If you're a clinician, great, put tuck that away in your head. If you're the runner, then great, you just follow the recipe, right? So it's a way of, it's a little bit more um, kind of plug and play in terms of how can you actually help yourself um, when you want to follow something. So um, different audiences for sure, and and it was definitely fun to write both. And um, running rewired was a totally different experience. Actually, really fun to write, so it was, it was a good time.
0: Oh, that's good. So you came out of it, maybe liking writing a little bit more. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so what were some of those essential skills that you wrote about in rewired running?
2: Yeah. So, you know, a few things, right? So number one, from a lab perspective, we tend to think in terms of front to back, side to side and up and down, because that's how we measure things in our kind of coordinate system. Um, and then runners think about why well, run straight and you might run a curve and a track and a curve and a trail, but you run straight. Right. And that's true. But as you run, there's this thing called the free moment. And basically what it says is when you hit the ground, you are spiraling around this, this vector, which is called the ground reaction force. You don't have to worry about these fancy words, but but that, that force coming up from the ground is trying to spin your body, right? So, for example, those of you who have seen those pictures of you running across the finish line, and I'm, you know, people say, "Look at this picture of me," and they're like, their their legs collapsed into the inside, right? And like, oh, I look horrible. What that's a sign of? It's not to say you look horrible, but it is proof that you don't have the rotational control in your feet and in your hips and in your core and your upper body to combat those those loads, right? So, um, that twisting line of force that happens in your foot and ankle happens in your hip. Happens in your pelvis, happens in your spine, happens in your upper body, right? That's really critical. And and runners, you know, it's funny, like people say, like, I do lateral hip work. Great. That's awesome. You should be doing a lot of rotational hip work too, right? Like that's the thing. It's like lateral stuff is awesome, but like usually the lateral change, aside, the side to side shifts you see visually are a problem with rotational control, not just lateral control. So, um, it's, uh, that was a chance to give some credit and, um, to, to that, that rotational aspect. And, um, that's probably people say, what's the number one thing people should be doing? Like, I mean, again, there's not one thing people should be doing, but very high on the list should be rotational stability in your body. So that's definitely number one. Number two is posture alignment, right? And and we're not talking about staying up straight. And people say, it's not one posture when you run. And yes, that's true. But again, like don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Like you can dramatically make your running form worse, right? Or better by the way you hold your torso in relation to your pelvis, right? And so um, those of you, which are, no offense, most of you don't look the same when you're running at the end of your run as you do in the beginning. Again, it's a sign you don't lack, I mean, you don't have the possible endurance you need to run, right? So um, if I told you, you know, people are spending money buying shoes to save a few percent here and there. What if I told you, you could make your running form 8% less efficient just by letting your posture fatigue as you run? Like I hope that gets your attention because it can make a b- very profound difference in your mechanics, um, and also increase the body stress as you run too. So like, wouldn't you want to give that some time? I-, I hope so. Okay.
1: Jay, you um, mean a shoe can't fix all of my problems? Um,
2: well, if you read the marketing <laughs> copy, it can, which is which can be helpful though. <laughs>
0: It's so true. And I mean, people just want to oftentimes want to throw shoes at it. Or, I mean, I don't know how many times I've said this, but I people come into the clinic with bags of shoes and totally. orthotics, and they want to go through every single one and blame everything on the shoe or have the shoe save them. And yeah. it's really, un, it's really work that we need to do in our own body.
2: Yeah. And like, and let me just jump on that for a second. So one of my big pet peeves And I'm not saying this is not important, but when runners come in and say, hey, look at my shoes, and they'll tell you a lot about me, I'm like, you know what? I'd rather look at you because your shoes are a filter. And if I put you in like five very different shoes, I might see different wear patterns in the shoes. And I don't really care about your shoe. I care about you, right? So like, that's, you know, again, like look at the problem, don't look at the symptom, right? We always say that. So again, don't look at the effect of a wear pattern in a shoe. Look at the body and look at how... You know the calcaneus dissociates from the midfoot and forefoot, and like the, and then how does that work in parts upstream? I'm like that's what you want to look at, right? So I'm not I'm not saying wear patterns aren't important, but but the reality is they 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 can be changed by depending on what you have underfoot. So um you know again look at look at the problem, right? Not not just uh what you see. So yeah yeah
0: <laughs> agreed
2: yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, yeah, I'm sorry, I I, under, I interrupted the um oh, no, the, no, it's all good. the uh spiel there. I had to just throw that joke in there. No, for
2: sure you should. <laughs> no, but then just other things that say look at you know and they talk about the importance of you know hips on on running and so you know hips aren't just about swinging front to back, right? They play a big stability function, huge stability function, and they play a big postural function, right? I don't think we give that enough merit um as we. uh as, as we go through our assessments and then looking at structure, right? So people think, you know, how should my feet point as I run? Should, should they point straight? Well, some people should if you happen to be straight at your hips and your shins, but if you've got some developmental changes in the way your bones are shaped, then you're not going to point straight, right? That's just, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, forcing someone into a position in which your body parts are, are not aligned can actually create very big problems. So I'll just kind of use an example here. So, Let's say you grew up, and we all work with tons of dancers, right, or I do, and I'm sure you have as well, Uh, you know, dancers from an early age are in lots of toe-out positions, right? And so so the more time you spend in toe-out, if you're in that toe-out position aggressively during your formative years, um, what we tend to see is more of an externally rotated or twisted-out position in the lower leg bones and also the hip bones, too, And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, you know, we're creatures of habit. You spend time in positions, you grow into those positions. We see this when pitchers, right? When there are arm angles, we see this in uh, throwers. I mean, it's not just dancers, lots of people, right? And so um, if you've got some developmental changes in bone rotation over the years, you have to respect those, right? And so if you're somebody who has a lot of toe out naturally in your normal stance, if I've force your feet straight, it's really going to jam your hips uh and and put you in these like weird positions where you can't move and all that rotational load you have to deal with is now going to be shifted up into different places and cause massive breakdown. So you know be able to find out where you sit on that continuum of, you know, are your hips straight or are they out or are they in? And are your shins out neutral or in, right? And find that position. So um it's just trying to give people some simple tests they can look at to find out, you know, where are you in the spectrum again and trying to help people progress. So
0: well, that's great. Well, thank you for writing that. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people um, I've seen it on a lot of bookshelves and um, it is a conversation because whenever the runners come into our clinic and we mostly see runners and triathletes, I'd say 90% of our population, they're always asking for resources and see the books on our shelf and want to and want to read those. So thank you. I'm very um,
2: humble, So thank you for reading. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and then we've got to go on to the other thing that it's Casey's biggest obsession. We have all of our elite runners using it. And then um, we talk about it a lot in the things that we do, but your newest project, well, actually, I don't know if it's your newest, but it's one of your newest projects is your MOBO board. So tell us a little bit about the development of that. What frustration led to that?
2: Yeah. So again, born out of frustration. (laughs) because we come in, right? I mean, foot and ankle stuff. It's kind of like, you know, it's interesting, right? Like we have hand therapists who deal with all of minutiae and dexterity in the hands. And Thank then
1: goodness. We... Cause I would not want to do that.
2: Totally. No. No, totally. No. And, but then we have feet and we say, just go buy shoes. Right. Or we say, okay, do this like ankle exercise with, you know, a TheraBand and then like do some towel curls and marble scrunches. I'm like, You just saw in your data that you've got to deal with, you know, two and a half, three times body weight every single stride. Do you think like doing marble pickups is going to pay you for that? No. (laughs) Do you think that a TheraBand sweep is going to pay you for that? No. Do I think that single leg balance work is going to pay you for that? Because your foot's not a brick, right? It's dynamic. No, right? Like, so... I started teaching people these different exercises and I think I brought Toyoga to the form, you know, forefront of people and just dexterity stuff. It's great. But like, then we have to train feet to work with the whole body and people do these weird compensation patterns And this, you know, or we teach an exercise and patients go home and do it wrong. Right. And they learn bad skills. So I said, couldn't I figure out a way to train people to get their center of pressure where basically their push off phase over to the first because That's where it's designed to be Um, both neurologically. You're, you have a very different set of your brain to control your big toe. And architecturally, we have very different um, function of how our uh, first ray, our big toe is from our lesser toes, right? Even have two little mini kneecaps under your big toe to help improve leverage. And you don't have those little toes, right? So we have to get center pressure over there, and wouldn't it be really cool if we could train uh, the normal acts of the pronation, supination? And just to put this out there real quick, pronation, supination aren't four-letter words. They're they're just describing motion, right? If I say, can you flex or extend your elbow? You'd say, yes, I can do that, right? So pronation, supination aren't bad, but the reality is most people don't do a good job controlling those motions. So um, I said, okay, can I can I shift center pressure where it should be? Can I get people to control pronation, supination? And can I do it in a way that allows you to train full body skills, right? right? Can I add in rotation and lateral hip work, rotational hip work and postural work on top of that? Yeah. So I basically, one day I had a jigsaw in my garage and I just made this thing and I was like, Oh, it's actually worked kind of cool, but I can't make bunches with a jigsaw. So I, uh, <laughs> I said, okay, well I should probably buy a CNC machine and, and more importantly, figure out how to use it. Um, uh, so. I, I did that. And so these are these automated machines. You stick pieces of wood down and you put this program, and it carves out what you want to do. So I did that and I said, okay, well now I have to figure out how to put these at scale and you have to find out how to model that and get factory. So it's, it's uh yeah, so that, that's the whole genesis from MOBO, but the whole goal for that was to produce a tool that people could use to, to build the skill of foot control. Right. And it's, and, and yes, you can load it. Yes. You work on strength, all these other things, but more importantly, get that foundational skill down, um. And, and, and it's been well-received because I think it's like, there's not many things out there like it. And, and, um, again, it's just trying to solve another problem.
1: Yeah. I think I've gotten so many patients to buy them and, <laughs> you know, I think what makes it so effective is like, there's only so many times you can tell people to shorten the distance between their big toe and their heel before they just want to slap you because they don't know what you right. mean, but you put them on the mobile board and they can feel it. Right. Um. So I tell people all the time, like, you know, you don't necessarily have to have one of these at home, but I want you to feel this. And this is how I want you to translate your other exercises over ground on. So that's my like favorite use of it because it's a, a nonverbal cue of how to activate those intrinsic muscles. And I'm so grateful.
2: So I, I'm literally putting my hands together and just like saying, thank you. Thank you. Thank you right <laughs> now, because I want to be clear, like that's the way I operate in my clinical practice. Right. So the more I can shut my mouth and get patients to feel things that they learn, right? Like I, I teach a motor learning course and we talk about how can we actually get people to, you know, change get, become neuroplastic, right. To make permanent changes in behavior. It comes from sensing, feeling, getting different senses involved. And yes, people are auditory visual, but if you can put a person in a position and have them feel and find and go. Oh, that's what I'm supposed to do, right? That's why I try and do things. Uh, and not just with MOBO, with other things too, right? It's like can I can I force you to figure out how to control this position movement, et cetera? And the when people that light bulb goes off, then you you really fix the problem. So yeah, that that was the whole goal that is to put you in a position where it's really hard to do it wrong, right? So you kind of have to have that light bulb go off.
1: Right, right. And people always ask, well, what's the difference between this and like uh, you know, an Eric's cushion or I have this balance board at home? What's the difference? And of course, this is when I get like super, super nerdy. And I'm like, this axis here is the exact axis that your joint works around to do pronation and supination. (laughs) I get really excited about it. Um, But it makes sense, right? So we want to train that pattern the way we would use it with running. I mean, the random perturbations and things is, you know, good for proprioception. It's good for some things, right? But if we're really trying to train that skill of controlling pronation and supination, that's how we have to train it, right? Yeah. As specifically as possible.
2: And, and can I can I can I um, can, can I go on a little mini tangent here? Because I spend, do. Yeah, we spend lots of times cleaning up bad <laughs> advice, right? So, I just want to put this out there because I always ask my teach whether it's lay audiences or clinicians who uses you know Eric's pads, which are those big foam pads, and everyone's hand goes up, right? I say, what do you use them for? I'm like, oh, the challenge, balance, and stability. And just check yourself for a second, okay. What you're doing when you put people on foam, unstable surfaces, you are removing proprioceptive information. So I know balance is, quote, harder because they can't feel where they are in space, right? But that's not upregulating or improving your sense of position sense, right? Where is my foot and ankle to your brain? You are actually like compromising the exact input you want to get. And all the research on drop landing stuff on unstable surfaces shows this, right? When uh, people stabilize poorly and take longer to stabilize on soft, mushy surfaces because you're muting sensory feedback, which is the exact opposite we're trying to do. When you talk about improving, you know, people, we always say improving strength. Everything's not about strength, right? When you're improving proprioception, which is position sense, right? I want to help you figure out where you are. And if you can't feel that, you cannot learn. A soft, squishy environment is a horrible learning environment, period. Okay. And for those of my clinicians out there who are kind of going, oh, wait, this is challenging my thought process. What do you do with your vestibular patients? You want to take sensory information away to challenge your vestibular system. So what do you do? You put them on the air pad, right? Like all we do is, is about, you know, what's the goal? Is it to improve vestibular function? Great. Then we train this way. Is it vision? Great. This way. Is it proprioception? Think about what you're doing to train proprioception, right? That's one, one piece of the pie. The second thing is, um, so hard, hard surfaces give us uniform position, uh, uniform feedback, right? And one of the reasons why MOBO is in a rocker position, which is rocking in line with the axis of the pronation and supination of your foot, and not just a round, wobble, unstable board like the, um, the wobble boards out there, is because I want, you know, your body learns well, it's a certain um, amount of constraint. Okay, remember the person who developed this is a dorky motor learning person, right? So, if I make things too wobbly and too unstable for you, it's not, it's really hard for you to learn, right? And you start to cheat with your hip and your, your side bend and do weird wobbly things just to kind of quote balance. And that's not what I want. I want you to learn to build a very specific skill set within your foot to prepare a foundation for everything upstream. And so, that's why, again, the hardest scenario isn't always the best. It needs to be challenging enough to help your neurologic system figure out how, how to move better. And that's it, really, right? And then so once you're ready to progress up a chain, then you can take that and you can do your single leg work and you know, combine it into hinge patterns like deadlifts and squat patterns and different, you know, all kinds of different exercises, right? But the goal isn't to make things, quote, too hard. It's to make them, as you said, Casey, very specific,
0: I would like to reiterate the sentence, the hardest scenario isn't always the best yeah. <laughs> because that's a, a conversation I think we have with our um, athletes all of the time because they're yeah. used to pushing so hard all the time that when you tell them they have to back off and do something that is more specific to what they're doing, sometimes they have a hard time with it because they don't feel like they're pushing themselves.
2: Yeah. And, and, and to jump on that, hard for you not your training partner right like how many times do we say oh go run easy like well my partner ran easy but i was at 90 percent. like that's not helpful right so are yeah. we at the gym and you know my friend's doing this weight on deadlifts so i am too like let's make it individual right so yeah make it optimal for where you are at your current stage
0: Yep. And this is where that mental emotional piece comes in Mm -hmm. and that piece of who are you doing this for and why and what exactly is happening here. Totally. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, what are you working on now? Is there anything new in the works or is it um, or are you, you know, surviving and kind of... um, balancing all of these things or what's going on i'm
2: trying to balance all these things uh <laughs> <laughs> no yeah i mean um yeah i mean just going through the motions and then um i mean lots of little projects here and there but one of the things we're doing right now is um one of our uh one of the the pt students projects we have different um uh, thesis projects we're doing and my group is looking at the so for example um, you go to any clinic and you see the star excursion balance test, right? So you stay on one leg, you see hyperarchy, you push the cone, right? So there's lots of ways you can push the cone, which we describe as good and lots of ways you can cheat that, right? And so uh, nobody's looking at the quality of these metrics. And so one of the things we're doing is we're going to look at how foot strength actually impair, uh, not impair, sorry, how foot strength works with uh, hip strength um, to achieve movement strategies, right? So when you see people show up and move a certain way, how does, you know, if they have a strong foot and a strong hip, how do they move, right? If they have a strong foot and a weak hip, how do they move? If they have weak, strong hips and weak feet, how do they move, right? So uh, I'm trying to get down to, again, finer resolution. And, and again, like we just don't look at these things, right? We look at tests and we have these gross tests. Can you do this? Yes or no. If you see a deviation, well, that's great. But like, why do you see deviation, right? And so we're trying to get a little bit more specific in terms of of why we see different patterns. So we're looking at, we're doing a study to, um, and like, we're literally just about to start collecting data right now, Uh, but... We're going to look at intrinsic foot strength. So strength inside the feet, we'll look at strength inside the hips. And then we're going to have people do a um, star excursion balance test with um, sensors in the pelvis to measure um, motion at the, at the pelvis. Uh, and then also this thing called the dynamic postural stability index, which is a measure of um, basically uh, how much you wobble and how fast you stabilize. Right. So uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really, really nice. And then we're also going to, um, Later years, we're going to add on chronic ankle instability patients to see uh, how that changes when you have people who sprain over and over again and how those patterns kind of shift. So it'll be, be fun.
0: Yeah, that sounds fun, actually. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's awesome. I have to ask, how are you going to measure foot intrinsic strength?
2: I'm curious. Yeah, we have a little custom dynamometer set up we have. so. Oh, that's um, so based- cute. Yeah. So I don't so know the, why, but it is. Yeah. So just looking at, um, yeah, we have a little done we made with this little leg jig to lock it in place, um, and looking at first ray, uh, dep- um, uh, flushing strength and then, um, lesser, uh, uh, you know, digits two through four, five together, right. Depression strength. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'll be our, uh, our measurements for our foot. So, uh, it's, again, it's trying to get people to drive down and there's a bunch of other things we're going to add in with the DPSI test, but so, yeah.
0: No, that's awesome. Well, well, thanks for keep doing what you're doing. I mean, this is, this is great stuff and um, I'm sure we're going to read about it.
2: <laughs> well, at the end of the day, I always tell people, it's like, it's <laughs> interesting, right. if you do research, it's like, okay, we mentioned a DPSI test. I love that test. I've used it for a decade and a half, but no one really has a force plate in their clinic. Right. But you do have a star excursion balance test. And if you start to see compensations, would it be cool if we could highlight one or two things that you could, that would take like, 30 seconds to test in your clinic, right? Um, right. That would actually give you better resolution and make that test more relevant. Like that's what I'm trying to get it to, into. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm old. We I mean, doing stuff a long time. I don't care about publishing papers for ego reasons. I could care less if I could help a clinician do a better job to sense like, Hey, can I get better information at this test? Like that's translational research that, that I do yeah. have interest in. So,
0: no, I think it's great. I think it's great. And it's the kind of thing that we need to do to be teaching our students, which you're, which you're doing, but definitely, um, when you get out of PT school, you really still don't know anything. And even years and years, you still are learning every single day. And so it's good to have this type of thing happening so that, you know, we know where we're going.
2: I still have no clue what I'm doing.
0: Me too. I tell Casey all the time. I have no idea what I'm doing. And she's like, right.
2: (laughs) I don't, I don't believe her. (laughs) it's true. Cause it's funny. It's the more you get, you start to blow holes in all your own theories. All Like, Oh wait, this, no, this doesn't work. And you're like, and then you don't believe it until you can prove it. Right. And then, so it's uh, yeah, it's that, 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 that saying isn't just this like cute thing to put on social media. It's real.
0: No, it's real. And then and the worst part is if you've been doing something for a really long time and then and you start to question it, which you should, and all of a sudden one day you're like, I'm never doing that again. Holy crap, what what have I been doing? Yeah. Um and you start to learn and and uh yeah, it happens all all the time, over and over again. <laughs> yep. <laughs> which is like, well, sure. I think it
1: just it speaks to the complexity of human beings, right? I mean, there's so many layer upon layer upon layer and I think the the more adaptable you can be as a clinician, the more kind of things you can, you know, employ to help, I think the better. And that's kind of how the that's at least the the uh, philosophy I've kind of taken is just learning all of these different avenues and um, hopefully being able not to be stuck in one way and uh, it's going OK so far. <laughs> it's going great it's going great
2: be plastic be dynamic yeah if i could just leave people with just like one little thing right so if you if you're a clinician in here and you heard this talk today like thank you for your time and just think about like what are you doing to solve the problems with your athletes and not just talking about not just doing too much too fast too soon like yes that has a role but people don't get hurt because they do gradual acclimated exposure right they get hurt because they show up moving in some weird way and then overloading that right so find that problem. And if you're a runner or a athlete, like if you heard this, like, huh, am I doing things for my upper body? Am I doing things for rotation control? Like, and you're not like, find a way to put that in. Cause it will make a huge difference and it will not take an hour of your day every day. Like, you know, but find a way to make your program more comprehensive and more targeted and specific to things that you want to do as far as your goals.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks so much, Jay. We really appreciate you being on today. For sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks
1: for sharing this hour with us. You're really, really busy and we so, so appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that it resonated with you and that you learned something. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps increase our visibility within the platform so that more awesome people like you can find us.
1: If you'd like to support
0: us further, pretty,
1: pretty please, you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash more than miles. That's www.patreon.com slash more than miles. Or for a few dollars, you can help the show grow and keep going, as well as receive exclusive perks like monthly Q&As with us. Until next time, remember to run the mile you're in and that training is so much more than miles Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media,